Welcome to the Fly Fishing 97 podcast, a look behind the scenes of the fly fishing world, featuring insight from guides and gear reps, conversation with resort managers, thoughts on entomology, discussions on fly patterns and destinations, and plenty of fish stories. Most importantly, it's an exploration of this lifelong journey we call fly fishing. Here is your host, Mark Hopley, with this episode of Fly Fishing 97. You know, there's a couple lakes around here that over the last few years, I, I thought, okay, I've got this figured out, and so I'm going to go there. And then all of a sudden, you know, what worked last year at the same time doesn't work this year at that time. And, you know, that's the interesting part about it is, you know, the, the, the cycles of, of the years that you go through, uh, you know, this year is a pretty good example. We, we didn't get on the water until uh, well into spring because the ice, you know, we had such a bad cold winter. Uh, and the ice didn't go away. It, it was a late ice off this year, whereas a couple of years ago, I think we were fishing at the uh, beginning of March. Or, oh, or, yeah. You know, yeah. So you, you have those late ice off years, you have the early ice off years, and, and that'll play a role in what's going what's gonna to work when. That uh, year you're talking about, I remember being on Shannon Lake before mm-hmm. Valentine's Day. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, there, there's that early season, you know, kind of jumps everything ahead a month or a month and a half where the late season will, will put everything behind a month or a month and a half. So it, it's, it's constantly, you know, the environment around us is always changing mm. and therefore we always need to continue to be learning. And the minute you stop learning, something changes and you're behind the times. Hey, if you could change one thing about fly fishing, what would it be? Secrecy. Mm. What do you mean I by think, that? Uh, uh, I think, you know, the, the, <clears throat> we stand for sharing information. You know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to tell you where you can go find a 10 pound fish. Mm-hmm. I got to work my butt off to go and find those fish. But, you know, the sharing of techniques, the sharing of ideas, the, I think social media has played a big part in, in getting rid of that. Um, you know, because there's so much information available out there today, people are way more okay with, with sharing it now than they might have been, you know, 10 years ago. Right. Um, so I think, you know, for me, that's that's one thing. It's funny, you know, I don't know how many days I've spent on the water uh, where, you know, you're set up and you're, you're having a good day, you're hooking fish on the regular, and then all of a sudden a few boats come in and, and they're around you. But it's very rare that I get asked anything. And I guess, you know, for some guys it's a pride thing. Mm. Uh, for some guys it's just, you know, they don't think it's, uh, you know, they think it's bad etiquette or, or whatever. I'm not usually one to speak up and, and you know, just say, hey. Yep. But if somebody asks me, I, I tell them every time. If you've got what, you know, if you've got the gumption to, to say, hey, I can't figure this out. You know, what are you doing that I'm not? Then I'm going to share that information with that guy. He's already on the same water I am. He's, you know, he's already there fishing. Let's help him out. And, and you know, again, it's save him a trip to the website or save him a trip to the fly shop or, you know, whatever it might be and, and share a little bit of knowledge with them. And, uh, you know, people appreciate that kind of thing. You know, I, you I, love, somebody... I love to hear that because I, I, you know what, I think that I agree with you. That's, that's one hang up that I have. Like if somebody asks you a question, I, I, I'm kind of like you, I'm a little bit quiet out there. I don't have a whole lot to say, but if somebody asks me, man, I'll tell you, I'll tell you what I'm using. I'll tell you exactly what I'm doing. Yeah, and I mean, I know guys out there that'll tell you the opposite of what they're using. 
And I just, you know. <laughs> yeah, I used it, to have it. <laughs> okay. To I, me, I, I just, I don't get it. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it just, it doesn't make a lot of sense. Um, you know, it's, it's, yeah. I mean, we all have our, our secret spots and we all have our, our lakes and our patterns that we hold tight to our best. But, you know, for the most part nowadays, when you're, you know, if I'm on Roche Lake, for instance, and, you know, there's a couple of guys that are, you know, a hundred yards away from me and they're not having a very good day and, and they speak up and want to know, then I'm going to tell them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the minute they hook into a fish and they give you that, oh, thanks, man. That's awesome. You know, yeah. that to me, that's really, really cool. Um, it's like when I take a buddy fly fishing for the first time and we have a 20, 30, 40 fish day, yeah. and he didn't believe that was possible, but the smile on his face while it's happening is unreal. And, and there's a certain fulfillment a guy gets out of, out of bringing somebody out to do that and just watching their face light up. I, I was talking to my buddy the other day, we were out fishing, uh, one of our regular lakes. And I, I says, you know, you remember about four or five months ago when we had that, hundred fish day on Roche. It doesn't even seem real in the middle of summer, does it? No, and that's, you know, I mean, but that's, it it can be real. And, and, uh, it's something that, you know, people just, uh, I tell people all the time, you know, some coworkers and, and things like that. They ask you, oh, how was your weekend? Oh, I went fishing. Oh yeah. How many did you catch? Oh, I don't know, 80. And they look (laughs) at you like you're crazy. And, uh, and you know, then you start showing them some pictures and, and then they don't believe you, and then they want to come and find out, right? So now yeah. they're coming out fishing with you, and you show them that it it, it can happen, and uh, you know then it then, but that's what gets people hooked. I mean, we're sharing this information to get more people outside, to get more people enjoying this sport that we enjoy so much. Mm. Uh, get the kids away from the computer screens and and away from the cell phones, and and enjoy. You know, what I did when I was a kid, we didn't have cell phones when I was a kid. We didn't have text messaging and Facebook. And, you know, we went outside. We got dirty. We scraped our knees. We, you know, played with worms and put them on hooks. I mean, that was, you know, that was our thing. And and there's less and less and less of that the more we go forward. So I feel like the, you know, the easier we can make it for people to get into this uh, sport, you know, the more more people are going to do it. So the more information that's out there, uh, the better it is for everybody, I think. Think think where we'd be without catch and release, too. And you're talking about 80 fish days. Well, back in the day, you'd get your limit and you'd come off the lake. That's right, yeah. It's just a yeah, different mentality. Uh, it, it is, yeah, 100%. Um, you know, I mean, that's, people, that's the other thing people don't understand about me. They say, well, how do you go out and, and uh, you know, I I never keep fish. I'm not, I don't eat a lot of fish and and uh, so I'm pretty much 100% catch and release. And, and they say, well, if you're not going to, to bring fish home, then what are you going for? And then I explained to them what I said earlier about I'm going to solve the puzzle. You know, oh, I like uh, that. I like, I like the way you put that. Yeah, that's, I mean, but that's, that's what I'm doing. You know, some guys like to play chess and figure that puzzle out. I go fishing and try to figure that one out. It's, you know, mm. to each their own. But, um, but every day I go fishing, it's a challenge. And, and uh, it keeps me on my toes, and it keeps me thinking, and and uh, keeps me out of the house. So I can't complain. <clears throat> you know, you know, it's funny. I was fishing a lake a few weeks back, and a lake that I've fished since I was probably five years old. Never seen anything bigger than probably a pound and a half, maybe two pounds in there. And my buddy hooked into something that was close to double digits, right out of the blue. I mean, there's all kinds of people around. I'm looking at him going, what the heck is that? 
Like, you know what yeah. I mean? Like, there's always something to learn out there. And, and every, That's just right. about every lake has a big fish. Of course. Yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, it just, just happened here. Uh, one of the guys at work booked uh, an 11-pounder, caught an 11-pound rainbow at a lake that is not far from town at all. Mm-hmm. It's very well known. And uh, I actually text Rob when he heard it because I almost like, you know, to me it was like, is this for real? And I know there's big fish in this lake. I've, I've caught some nice ones, and and uh, but I didn't know they got that big. And I text Rob and I said, you know, when was the last time you heard of a 10-plus fish coming out of this lake? And he hits me back with every year. You know, and I just shook my head. And I just shook my head like, really? Like, you know, and, and you know, sometimes you got to go through – you know, 400, two or three pounders to get the nine or 10 pounder, but they are there. Right. And, you know, we're pretty lucky in Kamloops. I mean, it is a, this is a Mecca for, for still water fishing. Um, the lakes here are just so, so productive. Uh, the freshwater fish society does an incredible job of stocking them. And, uh, you know, with all the triploids that we have here, it doesn't take those trout long, uh, to get big. Well, let's face it, that's that's something, Brandon, we probably don't give enough credit to is fisheries putting those triploids in because that oh, that's a game changer. Without that, fishing is a lot less exciting. Um, <clears throat> and it's a lot less available, too. I mean, if we didn't have them, uh, we'd be fishing creeks and streams for 6 to 10-inch trout, right? Exactly. I mean, that's, you know, the, the they do such an incredible job managing uh, the fisheries and the stocking program is absolutely incredible. Um, hey, you know, for those I, for those that don't know what a triploid is, maybe you can explain that to to our listeners. Yeah, I mean it's it's uh, the long and short of it is it's a rainbow trout that doesn't reproduce. You know, when a trout reproduces, it uses a lot of energy, and they typically don't eat during the process. So if anybody's caught a spawned out trout, uh, you'll notice that you know I've caught some trout that could have easily been seven or eight pounds but they're only you know four or five pounds because they've slimmed down so much you got a big old head on them but a skinny little body well a triploid doesn't have to go through that stage and uh they grow and they grow and they grow and call them footballs uh sometimes uh especially the brook trout because you can i've caught brook trout that are as big around as they are long yeah um it's really due to that uh to being a triploided fish and, uh, but it's, you know, the triploids are something else, but, you know, the strains and the different types of trout that they put in these waters to be able to survive being caught and released, be able to survive, you know, low oxygen levels in the wintertime, uh, you know, they're durable fish, they're hardy fish, uh, you know, there's a lot that goes into it. And I don't think those guys get near enough credit for what they do. There's a, there's a lot of work that goes into that and uh without it you know we just wouldn't have the excitement that we do totally agree and when you take a lake like uh a lot of our listeners are in areas where there's uh slightly higher ph water maybe a little on the alkali side but they're nitrogen rich they're full of shrimp they're full of feed and then you take a usually it's all female fish that are triploids that just don't stop growing they never spawn so they don't use that energy up and you're talking uh we're talking salmon really well, I mean, when you get fish that are, you know, growing at, at two, two and a half pounds a year, you know, at times, 
mm. in the right lakes, that's pretty incredible. I mean, you're going to get a, a four-year-old fish or a five-year-old fish that's in that seven, eight, nine, ten pound class. You know, that's pretty awesome. Roche Lake is a really, really good example about of that. Um, in I think it was 2014, uh, they had one of the worst winter kills they've had in in years at Roche Lake, and obviously being the the popular lake that it is, they needed to do something about it. So <clears throat> if you look back in the stocking reports, you'll see they put a bunch of catchable uh, Fraser Valley fish in there. Mm-hmm. Well, we're only four years out of that that winter kill. And Roche Lake is doing fantastic. I mean, they went in, they put in some catchable trout right away so that, you know, that season people would still be able to catch fish. And, but by doing that, now those fish are in, you know, that's one of the more productive lakes in the province. Those fish from catchable size then till now have, you know, quadrupled in size. And uh, so now we're back up to, if you're fishing that lake, you can expect you know, at any given time to hook a pretty, uh, pretty decent fish. So how much time you do know, you spend looking at stocking reports? Uh, quite a bit. I mean, that's something that, you know, it, it's, I think in the last few years, it's, it's become more popular. You know, the, it's a, that's another thing that, you know, the, the society, freshwater fish society doesn't get credit for is making those available. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, without those, it's, it's a crapshoot on where you're going to go and, and how big the fish are going to be. You know, it's, it's just a guessing game. But with that, there's a ton of valuable information there. I mean, you can see what fish were stocked in there, whether they're triploid or not. Uh, are they Panas? Are they Fraser Valleys? Are they Blackwaters? Mm-hmm. You can target lakes that you know are probably going to have big fish. On the other hand, if you're taking the family out and you just want to find a lake where you're going to go and catch, you know, 12, 14, 16 inch rainbows all day long, then you can go on there and you can find that as well. It's an extremely valuable tool uh, that I think is highly underrated. Is it a little bit of work to sort through it and, and yeah. go th- figure it out? Of course it is, but you know, big fish don't come easy. So, you know, you got to, rather than just say, Hey, where can I go catch a 10 pounder? You know, go look at it and find where you can, you can, uh, catch that fish because when you find the information and you know it's there then you've got a lot more confidence going into that lake when you get there right well that lake <laughs> i was telling you about the buddy caught a, a hog and i'm looking at it going i look at the stocking reports and go hmm yeah i never i never it makes sense now right you know if if they exactly. haven't winter killed um chances are those fish you know four or five years ago that were stocked are fairly decent size yeah and we get though, I mean, we get the the oxygen levels are are typically uh, out there to find in the springtime. You know, I know we have a we have a forum on our site, and I think that's probably when it's most popular is is at ice off. People are wanting to know what lakes are coming off and what lakes they can fish and and uh, and that kind of thing. Um, but so the winter kill information is out there as well. If if there's a kill, then it's going to be uh, known now, some of the smaller lesser known lakes maybe not mm. uh you know there was a few unfortunately that we found this year that you know you had to make the two-hour drive and go out there and and realize that yeah this lake was probably killed but it's oh, uh man, I, combining i can again, remember hiking into a lake in your neck of the woods and i mean it was a hike 
it was yeah. through deadfalls and everything we get in there and then you see the shrimp and you see the water beetle larva and you're like hmm what's going on here and then no fish rising <laughs> no loons yeah. on the water it's a pretty good indication there might have been an issue that's right and uh you know i mean sometimes it works that way but nowadays i mean it's it's rare that that happens because you know typically you're in a position where the information's available there's forums out there on many different sites where people discuss winter kill they discuss stalking uh, and then you have your stalking reports so if you do a little bit of research in the spring um, and that's typically when i'll do mine i kind of plan my my season a little bit early spring while I'm uh, feverishly waiting for the ice to come off. You know, I start looking at those reports and, you know, for me, I've been in Kamloops uh, six years. I, there's still so many, so many lakes that I haven't tried yet. Yeah. Um, you know, or haven't really got to dive into yet. Um, you know, it's, it's, I mean, there's one thing about getting out on a lake, but it's another thing to know a lake. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's what I mean. It's, it's tough to, you know, say yay or nay on a lake after fishing it one time. Yeah. Um, you know, you need to uh, put in the effort and figure it out. And that's just not something that can be done typically in a day. It's something um, else that really hits me too. Some of the, the best fishing I've ever had where you get to a lake and there's nothing rising. You're like, there's nothing going on here. But then all of a sudden you realize, oh, wait a minute, they stock black waters in here. Maybe they're not panace. They're not, they're not rising on terrestrials and they're not feeding on insects. And all of a sudden you're into like uh, double digit fish. Yeah. Oh, a hundred percent. I mean, that's, you know, that's the, uh, the beauty of those reports is they're so detailed. They'll tell you, you know, whether that lake has black waters or Fraser valleys or panasks and, you know, if you want an aerial show and, and you want fish that'll come out of the water six feet or five feet or whatever it might be, then find the panasks, right? If you want to catch yourself a fish that's, uh, you know, seven, eight, nine, ten plus pounds and, and holds down on the bottom like a bulldog, then go chase a, a Fraser Valley. I mean, yeah. you know, there there's a variety, I guess, is, is uh, it's not just that we can go out and, and catch rainbows, but... You know, we get to pick what rainbows we want to go target. And, you know, I mean, we're pretty darn lucky. Uh, if you're fishing the BC interior, then uh, you're a pretty lucky person because uh, the amount of information combined with the quality of fishing is, I mean, it's bar none. I don't know anywhere else uh, in the country that you can uh, have that much info to go and chase uh, fish like we do. You know what makes me laugh a little bit is you're talking about I mean, this. Someone's tell me they were catching rainbow trout, and I'm like, well, that doesn't really tell me anything anymore. I mean, back in the day, that's all I needed to know. But when you talk about specific species, and you talk about their tendencies, as you know, the black waters are basically feed on minnows and red-sided shiners and perch and whatever happens to be in that lake. Um, those panasts yeah. are all after the terrestrials. I, it's a toll. Or sorry, I shouldn't say terrestrials, but they're 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 feeding on insects basically. Some some are predators and some aren't. That's right. I mean, trout are natural predators, you know, naturally they are, but that's sometimes we forget that these aren't the natural fish. I mean, they are, um, you know, but the majority of these fish are, are bug eaters, and that's, you know, that's why they've been put in these uh, productive waters um, is because they do, right? right? Now, like you said, some of the, the blackwater strains, the Fraser Valley strains, um, 
You know, there's a few lakes around that do have the shiners in them. It's rare around here, not a ton of them, but there's there's enough of them. And if you go find those lakes, you hook into to some of those fish, and it will boggle your mind how big they are. Yeah. And when I say big, I, I don't necessarily mean long. You know, I mean, it's not uncommon to find a fish that's you know, 24, 26 inches, but close to 10 pounds because they are so round and fat. Well, I mean, again, it makes so, sense. They're feeding on on big food sources, and I find those fish don't usually yeah. jump at all. No, no, those are typically the ones, you know, your, your Fraser Valleys, your Blackwaters that'll uh, keep you down on the bottom. Does the odd one jump, of course, but, mm. um, you know, it's almost, when you fish them enough, uh, especially if you're fishing a lake with more than one strain in it, you can almost tell what you've caught the minute you've hooked it. You know, I know Panasks, they love to shoot on the water. Would you set that hook in their mouth? You know, it's probably 80% of the time going straight to the surface and they'll come flying out of that water. I love that. Uh, or Fraser Valley's totally different, right? Right. Um, and then there's the, the aggression factor of each strain, too. There's something that I've noticed. You know, the Fraser Valley's and the Blackwaters, they're a little more bullish than the Panasks, I find. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a lot of the attractor-style patterns that I fish, you know, they work great for Panasks, but, you know, maybe it's just me, but I find... You know, the more aggressive ones are usually the ones that are hitting those right. when you're in a lake with both of them. Uh, so, yeah, no, it's, I mean, it's unreal. We're just, again, we're so lucky. You know, that's part of why I ended up in Kamloops. I hadn't, I was okay in Vernon doing what I was doing, but uh, making that, you know, one, two, three hour drive to get to fishing spots. If I was in Kamloops, I cut that in half. So, you know, that's a big part of the reason why I ended up here and, you know, I'm one of the luckiest guys in the world to uh, to live here and, and be able to do what I do. We're chatting with Brandon Dixon of FlyGuys.net. Encourage you to check them out on the uh, on the web. And uh, just so you know, this is the first time I think we're going to turn this into a two a two show because you know what I got. I, I, have you got a few minutes? You don't have to run off right away. Yeah, no, I'm uh, cool. I'm actually at the bench tying up chronomids. So chronomids, uh, it's I'm August. It's August, big bombers, bud. <laughs> We're tying on Christmas uh, trees. Size ten, two X hooks right now. Green, red, rib. Uh, these are actually. Uh, I, I'll, maybe I'll post a picture when I'm done. They're a deep brown with a gold rib. Uh, okay. Kind of something that uh, has done me quite well. The bombers don't seem to have the same uh, color variances as the smaller bugs do in the earlier spring. Mm. Uh, so typically, you're dealing with browns blacks olives um and the shinier the grays and the chromies so you don't need as as much variety in the bomber season as you do in the spring right um but you definitely need them big and and i'm tying 10 2x and believe it or not that's not as big as all as i'll go i will go one size bigger than that there are some big bugs in uh, hmm. in the bc interior i haven't hit a bomber hatch this year and it's driving me crazy they have been uh, they have been sparse. I hit uh, I usually go to Tunkwa once or twice in August. Yep. Um, just because it's obviously it's pretty notorious for for bomber hatches and and uh, until just lately uh, they're they're slowly starting to come off, but they're not coming off as as thick and hard as they as they normally do. And I don't know what the reason for it is. I have, I have no idea. But it is one, but again, that's that's a lake where there's so many chronomids that you can pretty much tie one on and, and probably catch a fish. 
Yeah, um, you're, that's one of my faves for sure. But it, the other thing is not all lakes have the bomber hatches either. Yeah. Um, only, only the most, in my opinion, the most productive uh, lakes are the ones that, that do have those, uh, those big bomber hatches. Have you got any crazy fly fishing stories from over the years? Anything that comes to mind you'd like to share maybe today? I don't know. There's probably tons of them, but uh, nothing crazy, crazy, I guess. What can I think of? I guess uh, rods going overboard. You know, I don't know if anybody's had that happen, but I watched a guy earlier this spring lose his rod overboard. Uh, never a fun thing to have happen. Have you lost one? Two. I haven't lost one, no. I'm pretty, uh, if I'm fishing two rods, they're in the rod holders. Uh, but that's only because I've seen it happen on more than one occasion. And then actually Rob almost lost his about a month ago. We were in uh, just outside of Kamloops here fishing, and and uh, we hit a pretty good Connie hatch. It was pretty good fishing. Uh, we had a double header. I got my fish in the net. He got his fish in the net. And uh, he wanted. we were fishing about 24 feet. We were both using really long leaders. And uh, so he to avoid getting the two hooks tangled up, he basically... Uh, grabbed his fish, pulled the crony out and chucked it over into the water. And, and, uh, I had quite a nice fish, so we wanted to get some pictures. And as he's pulling out his camera, his rod literally went kind of three quarters over the side of the boat. Luckily he was able to grab it, <laughs> but you know, that's how chronomic crazy these fish are. Sometimes he, all he did was, was, you know, unpop his fish, throw the chronomic over and just it sinking down below the boat was enough for a fish to come up and whack it. I mean, we never expected that to happen, but, you know, that's happened on more than one occasion. So, yeah, I mean, I don't have, I can't think of anything off the top of my head too, too crazy, but little goofy things like that that tend to happen quite often, you know, that's, that's, those are just fun things that when you're not losing the rod, it's fun anyways. You, you know, you're dialed in when. Yes, that was uh that was a, you know, you're dialed in when moment for sure. Hmm. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, that was pretty good day that day brandon if you were limited to one pattern and i know this is a crazy question for a lot of guys but or gals what would what would that look like what are you throwing out there i mean if it was a just one specific hook i'd have a hard time not picking the zucchini okay uh, that's a chronic that's a chronomid pattern that uh that we tie and become notorious with uh the bc interior here and and further i mean anywhere that chronomids hatch uh this thing's super popular it's basically a, a black holographic tinsel with a red wire and a white bead it's a very very simple pattern but i have i don't think i could tell you any other pattern i've caught more fish on mm. um now that's not going to catch fish all the time the, you know there's times when i'll tie it on and there's no no chronies to be seen anywhere and it will catch fish right. uh but it would be a a, a probably a very close tie between that and some type of a bloodworm micro leech hybrid um, i was going to ask you what okay so take chronomids out of the picture what's yeah. your go-to then there's a fly we tie called the micro torch and uh you can find it on youtube it's basically a, a fire orange marabou tail with a micro chenille it's like a i think it's a 0.5 millimeter it's a really really tiny chenille that you wrap up the hook with a with a bead on the top it's one of the simplest patterns that, that you can tie 
but that thing just straight catches fish. Uh, it can be taken as a leech. It can be taken as a blood worm, you know, so that's, that's probably one I would go with. You know, I, I, I'll tell people, I mean, 90% of my fishing is done with either leeches or chronomids. Yeah. There's, you know, so for anybody getting started, uh, if you want to fill a box with some small uh, leeches and some chronomid patterns, you're going to go and, and in this area, you're going to go and catch fish hands oh. down. No question. Those are, those are probably my, my two go-tos. Those two uh, patterns work hand in hand together too. Think think about when all of a sudden the chronomids stop working, they tend to switch over to leeches quite often, don't they? Yeah, it's it's a dessert item. I mean, or you know, if you get to the lake before the hatches are happening, you know, you can try to fish a chronomid and you might pick up a few fish. But oftentimes a leech can be more productive. Mm-hmm. Um, it's something that's always on the menu for fish. You know, that was today. That was my most productive pattern. You know, there was some, some chronomids coming off. The fish were eating blood worms, but they wanted my leech for whatever reason. So, yeah, that's that would be ni- probably, no kidding, 90% of what I fish is, is leeches and chronomids. That's, uh, it's, that's all really a guy needs to, to go out and be somewhat productive. So how much, um, how much but, does fishing cut, in, cut into your uh, day job? Oh, I'd be lying if I hadn't called in sick to go chase a hatch. Oh, don't. No, hey, come on now. You can't say this is, we're, we're recording this. Yeah, that's okay. Uh, the boys know, you know, it's, it's, I really, really, really love fishing and, and, uh, the windows at times, uh, for certain lakes, for certain bugs aren't always big. No. Uh, so there's times where if, if there's a lake that starts going, uh, you need to get there now. And, uh, luckily I'm in a job where my hours are fairly flexible, uh, you know, if it wasn't for that, I, I don't know if I, I'd, uh, I don't know what I'd do if I did something else because uh, the flexibility is, is awfully nice uh, to be able to go chase those hatches because, like I say, there's, there's small windows and, and there's bigger windows, but the smaller ones are the ones you look for because those are the ones that are probably going to produce the best fish and, and sometimes the biggest fish. So when they're on, I'm going. And, yeah. uh, and that's just the way it is. So. I get it. Uh, there's a few lakes in your area where I've, uh, you know, got the information maybe a day or even a week too late. You get up there and it's like, well, I don't know what these guys were talking about, but you should have been here last yeah. week. That's right. And that's, you know, those are the windows that, uh, that I'm talking about. And, and, uh, another important, important point that I'll point out for people is, uh, I don't know. Do you keep a, a journal of your fishing records? I, I do personally, but it's, it's yeah. not as good as it used to be, to be honest. Yeah, I know a lot of people that don't, and uh, I can tell you I've got a, a fairly detailed... I mean, there's only a certain few things you need. I mean, you need a date. Uh, I like to put the weather in there and, uh, you know, water what I was temp- doing when I was catching. Water temperature is important. Um, you know, so you don't. it doesn't take a lot, you know, five minutes after a day of fishing to jot a few notes in a book uh, to save you hours and hours of time moving forward is a pretty invaluable tool. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's, that's something I would recommend to everybody. You know, when the windows are as small as they are, being able to go back on years' worth of, uh, of work, as I like to call it, you know, is, is just invaluable. You, you, you don't find those small windows without doing those little things that will help you get there, right? I, you'll <laughs> laugh about this. I was looking at some notes that I took uh, almost 
almost 40 years ago, probably more like 35 years ago, and we were using these Montana patterns. You know, you remember the old, uh, it almost looks like a gonfus with a yellow head with a little, uh, okay, okay, with a little hen kind of thorax, but that thing used to slay them. I can't catch a fish to save my life on that pattern anymore. And same, I looked about maybe 10 years ago, we were using this pattern we called a black damsel. And that thing, it was just a damsel pattern, typical damsel marabou, but it was black. And I'll tell you what, we could not keep fish off it. Now I can't catch a fish on that pattern to save my life. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I mean, and that goes, you know, there we circle back to the change, right? I mean, in, in, you know, if you're not constantly changing and constantly learning, if you're trying to use the same patterns year in and year out, you know, some of them are going to work all the time, but some of them just aren't. So that that's where you got to, you know, continue to uh, evolve and, and continue to, to keep learning uh, to find out, you know, what's what's the new uh, treat on the menu that's that's going to work. Well, I guarantee you weren't fishing uh, boobies and blobs uh, 10 years ago. I certainly wasn't. No, not at all. You know, I picked those up uh, probably five years ago now. And, you know, the first year I kind of tied one on and chucked it around a little bit. And, uh, and then I started, you know, really reading into it. And uh, there's another pretty valuable tool. The UK guys know how to catch trout. And, uh, mm-hmm. I don't think enough people give them that credit. I, I've taken so many patterns from, uh, from the UK world and, and brought them into our still waters and, and they work. Yeah. Uh, they just do. I mean, the booby and the blob are, are the, the, probably the two most known patterns. Uh, the fab is another one. Um, but you know, patterns like that, you know, they weren't even thought about here. 10 years ago. I often think, I often think in my own mind, cause I have spent some time in Europe and those, those waters they have there are so heavily, I mean, they're hit hard. Let's put it that way. We yep. have, we have all these lakes and the fish maybe don't see as many patterns, but I, my, my personal theory and tell you chime in on this, but I think that if you take a body of water that gets hit and hit and hit and hit and people develop patterns that work, those patterns are going to slay them over here. They are. Yeah. A hundred percent. I mean, and that's, you know, that's part of it is, is it's one thing to try and feed a trout, uh, and by using leeches and damsels and caddis and crawnies. I mean, that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to put that in front of them and hope they want to eat it. You know, the big thing about the attractor style patterns, uh, with boobies and blobs is they're not trying to eat it. You're pissing them off. Mm. And that's a natural instinct that they have. So you're essentially, you're preying on their natural instinct of being a predator and they don't have a choice. It's when it's an instinct, they're just grabbing it. They just look at it. They don't like it and they whack it. And that's why it works so much. I mean, you know, that's why it's what I pull out when I can't get them to eat anything else. You pull one of those out, you're probably going to get a few fish. And, uh, so, you know, whether they like it or not, when it comes to food sources, that's their choice. But when it comes to those two patterns, they don't really have a choice. If you can put that in front of them, they're probably going to eat it. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I, I think traditionally that's why like a pattern like a red carry or a red spratly that probably not a lot of people use anymore, but it kind of, it's like, what the heck is that? And and they're going to lash out. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, there's other patterns that, that do similar things. I mean, water boatmen, uh, gumfus bugs, you know, anything that you're moving quickly through the water you're not just dangling in front of them and, and letting them have a, a good opportunity to see it uh, or analyze it or whatever it might be that they do. Uh, when you whip something by them quickly, 
whether it's something that's super flashy and really ugly or it's something that, you know, has the profile of a bug that they may eat sometimes. Uh, sometimes just that quick movement through the water, they don't have the same amount of time to make the decision on, oh, do I want to eat this or, or don't I? It's, oh, that's food. I better get it. Well, that's like that, that slow, still water versus river mentality. If a fish is in a river and something's coming by, he's probably going to take a chance at it, but he's got more time to think about it in a, in a, in a still water. But if you're stripping yeah. a blob by him, he's like, what the heck is that? Yeah, exactly. And, uh, you know, I mean, it's uh, those flies have saved me so many days on the water. And, you know, the fact that I was able to conv- even put a few in Rob's box and, and have him fish them now, uh, I mean, that tells you right mm. there that they work. He Brandon, what are you and... what are you fishing out of as far as equipment? Like, what kind of boat are you fishing out of these days? Uh, I've got a ten foot John boat. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's a pretty uh, pretty standard uh, fly fishing rig for for these parts. It can go on top of my truck, so I mean, I can literally take it anywhere. You know, it's light enough that uh, myself or two people can carry it. So if you've got a sticky launch or or you need to walk it in a hundred yards or whatever it might be you can uh you can do that no problem the uh journey is the boat that we sell through the website and uh, if anybody's looking for a quality uh flat bottom uh john style boat i would recommend it 100 percent um there's a nine foot six model and an 11 foot six model but that boat is, is made here in kamloops it was designed by fly fishermen and it's one of those things that you know, it's basically 30 years of experience uh, built into the perfect little boat. You know, there's no, it's all welded aluminum. There's no rivets. There's no seams. The bottom is completely flat. Um, they're durable. Uh, you can put them on top of a truck. You can trailer them if you want to. That's that's a boat that you, know, you buy one of those and you'll have a fishing boat for the next 30 years. I love that's, the uh, stability on, on, on that platform, too, if you want to stand and cast. It is. It's unreal. I mean, it's uh, whether you're with one person or, you know, the nine foot six is a perfect little boat for one person. If you need to put two people in there, you can do it comfortably. Uh, But the 11 foot six boat is awesome for two guys. And whether you're both standing up or one of you are standing up, uh, it's incredibly stable. And uh, yeah, I mean, that's, you know, around here, that's what we need. You can't always, a lot of the lakes I fish, probably 70% or more, you can't get a, a 16, 17, 18 foot boat into them. Uh, there's crappy launches and there's, you know, you're not going to get a trailer into them. So these little car topper styles uh, are pretty much a, a necessity around here. So you can put, you know, you can put a five, six, seven horse on them. You can put a little electric on them or you can just roll them. But around here, that's uh, for our still waters anyways. Those are, those are the go-to and, it's funny, you drive around Kamloops and, and you learn how popular fishing is around here because every other truck that's going by you has probably got a boat on top. Yeah, I see. I see. I mean, I'm a little further south than you guys, but I, I see the same thing all the time. And, and you know what? You know what I hate the most is when I'm on my way to work and I pass that guy with a damn boat on top. I'm, oh, you. <laughs> see, I, I must do that to people every day because my boat doesn't come off my truck from. It's the time prob- I put it on in the spring till the time I take it off in the fall. So people must think I go fishing every day. It's probably you I keep passing. Like <laughs> I, I look forward to retirement for that. Yes, yes, it will be good. <clears throat> I've got a little ways to go, but but uh, if all goes well here in the next uh, 
you know, five years or so, then hopefully fly fishing will become more than just a, a passion for me. And you, you won't miss any bomber hatches that way. That's true. Yeah, no, I'll be all over them. Hey, this is Brandon Dixon of FlyGuys.net. I encourage you to check their stuff out online. It's uh, I really appreciate you taking the time. You guys are such a huge source, uh, Rob Bruno and yourself, of information. And I just want to, uh, on behalf of listeners and uh, people I know that follow your stuff, thanks so much for doing what you do. Uh, no, we appreciate it. Everybody, uh, you know, we put it out there for, for everybody. And, and again, anybody that's got any info, any information that that, uh, that they want to share, you can email us, you can message us on Facebook, Instagram, uh, we're all over the social media, uh, or right through the website too. So feel free to contact us with uh, questions. You know, if, you, if you're having a, a struggle with a certain uh, type of fly and you can't find the information out, shoot us an email. We are here to help if we can. Awesome. Hey, I'll let you get back to the vice and hopefully we'll, we'll see you uh, out on a shoal soon. Right on. I look forward to it. Thanks again for having me on. Thanks for listening to the Fly Fishing 97 podcast. Your feedback matters. Let us know if there's a person or topic you would like to hear on the show. Email us at mark at flyfishing97.com. Until next time, tight lines and we'll see you on the water.